You're listening to the RV Homeschool Podcast, where we make travel educational and fun. Let's walk among the giants as we head to Sequoia National Park. Thank you for joining us on the RV Homeschool Podcast. My name is Amber Steuben and I'm your host. We are a family of four that travels in our Jayco Seneca motorhome with our two elementary age daughters. We travel the U.S. and Canada when borders are open, and we love bringing you content about the national parks and other fun RV travel ideas. So we took a one-year hiatus, but we are back and trying to bring you some regular content from all of the national parks that we've been to lately. So thank you so much for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, we like to talk about the logistics, specifically about driving with your RV to the locations and things that you might need to know and consider. Then we'll go into some of our trip highlights, things that we liked, hikes, places to visit, stuff like that. And then we usually end with some camping ideas and any other general tips and recommendations for you. So let's get started with Sequoia National Park. So why do you want to visit Sequoia National Park? Well, first of all, Sequoia has the largest trees on earth. And I'm talking about large in terms of volume, so just the overall width of the trees. It was the second national park, and it was designated to protect these massive trees that are within its space. It has the highest mountain peak in the lower 48, and that would be Mount Whitney, which stands at 14,494 feet in elevation. It also is home to 30 different sequoia groves throughout the park. Now the sequoias only grow in the Sierra Nevada range, which is kind of in the central eastern part of California. It's between 5,000 and 7,000 in elevation, so it's pretty high up there. And uh, trust me, you feel that as you're driving your RV pretty much from sea level and working your way up into the park. These trees are the largest in volume, but they are not the tallest. That designation goes to the redwoods, which are along the coast of California. And we'll talk about that in our podcast on Redwoods National Park. The sequoia trees are also very old and some of them are over 3000 years old. And one of the other really interesting things about the sequoias is that they, their seeds fall down in the form of these pine cones, these big green cones. And in order for them to release the seeds, which will actually generate new forest growth, there has to be a wildfire. And the really extreme heat of that wildfire is what will allow the seeds to release and allow new growth of new sequoias. So Sequoia National Park actually requires forest fires to continue its regeneration. Of course, the problem is that there should only be really fires from naturally occurring lightning and the reasons that the park would normally have fires, obviously not from human caused. All the extra fires that are out there because of human causes are more destructive and not needed to promote that growth. So those are some of the reasons you would want to visit Sequoia National Park. Um, Let's talk a little bit about logistics when we come back. Sequoia National Park is located in the Sierra Nevadas in California. It's one of the nine Californian parks. There's no roads that go from the east to the west through the park. So there's Highway 395, which runs along the Sierra Nevadas on the east side. 
and then there's a couple different highways that will run along the west side but your only throughway from the east to west is either going up further up to the north like through yosemite national park and that's only during the time of year that tioga road is actually open if you aren't catching it during the summer months when tioga road's open you have to go all the way north up to i-80 through reno and then cut across and come down or through the south side of sequoia national forest you would have bakersfield and some of the highways there as your elevation gets back down to you know closer to sea level so you can come across that way as well but there's no actual east-west highways that go through the park itself the other thing to know about it is that it's very close to king's canyon they actually share um, territory and kind of a borderline between one park to the other park so king's canyon is to the north of sequoia and then sequoia is on the south part and they're right next door to each other so absolutely plan enough time that you can visit both of them while you're right there because it's so convenient it's also pretty convenient to pop in a couple days or a little bit of time up at yosemite there's a bit of a drive you have like a three to four hour drive between sequoia area and then up to yosemite but if you have enough time um, to go out to one of them it's probably worth doing another trip and, and hitting up the other one as well and that's actually the way that we toured it we went to yosemite first and then we came down and visited sequoia in king's canyon the other thing to know about it is that um, the park is large but really the driving distances that you need to take to get throughout the park and around the park are really significant and you don't want to underestimate that we kind of made the mistake of planning to spend so much time in sequoia and then we were originally planning to spend the whole next day in king's canyon and then the kids really wanted to go to disneyland um, for halloween so we ended up cutting our trip short and we just tried to hit up sequoia and king's canyon on the same day but we really underestimated just how far that highway is that takes you between sequoia national park up into king's canyon and so we really only caught king's canyon at the end of the day and we didn't really get to spend a full day there so be sure that you're planning enough time there's a, a lot of driving distance and the speed that you can take on those roads is pretty slow the other thing to know is that from that south entrance of sequoia national park there is a really sharp incline of switchbacks that take you up the mountain as you're increasing in elevation and it's a very narrow road and you're just doing constant switchback to switchback and because of this they do not allow vehicles that are more than 22 feet in length and quite honestly even you know if you had too long of a pickup it could feel a little dangerous you certainly can do it in a car but in terms of being in an rv or having a travel trailer it, this isn't really a passable road unless you have like a small bus or something but for us in a 37 foot um super c that's not going to happen you wouldn't even have enough room to bend and make that turn let alone the incline and the drastic elevation change that you have um, would be dangerous so you cannot do this with your large rvs so be sure to just plan enough time to park the rv and have that at the rv park and then be able to drive another vehicle into the park there's a few towns that are outside of sequoia um, not a ton of towns but if you needed to rent a vehicle that would be an option to do that i did not see anything in terms of a public transportation any sort of shuttle bus any sort of tours or things like that so i know at some of the national parks they're starting to do that we didn't see anything like that at sequoia i don't think that they offer that there so just plan that you need to have another vehicle with you 
Um, and you're certainly not going to want to bike it unless you're like a super amazing bicyclist because this is uh, some heavy duty biking in here and the distances are really extreme. So that's some of our details on the logistics. The other thing I just wanted to kind of make sure to note is that the Sierra Nevadas are really no joke when it comes to mountains. I think coming from Colorado, we live in the Rockies and it's easy to just say that nobody's else, nobody else has mountains like the Rocky Mountains. It's easy to drive, we can do whatever. And we were amazed at how difficult some of the driving was throughout the Sierra Nevadas. And I think part of that is just because your elevation change is so drastic. So you're unlike in Colorado, Colorado, where you're heading from Denver at 5,000 feet and you're heading up to maybe 10,000 at most in the elevation of the mountains in California, you can be at sea level and then be heading up to, you know, 9,000 feet in elevation. So, um, some pretty extreme driving and just kind of be prepared for that. Make sure that you have proper, uh, you know, chains or any of the other required stuff. If you're planning to visit when it's not the summer months, because those are required. That's both the case for Yosemite and and Sequoia because the Sierra Nevadas get a ton of snowfall and it can be dangerous driving in the winter and even into spring until the roads are fully open really by summer. While there are many sites to see at Sequoia National Park, we're going to focus on four main things that we either saw or would have liked to have seen. The first one being General Sherman Tree. You've probably heard about the General Sherman Tree. It's um, it's not the tallest or the widest tree, but it is considered to be the largest living tree in the world because of its volume. So it weighs approximately 2.7 million pounds and is believed to be about 2,200 years old. And it stands 275 feet. So yes, I understand these are not the redwoods, which are the tallest, and those are spectacular. But trust me, these sequoia trees are pretty fantastic and amazing at just how tall they are. The General Sherman tree actually adds 60 um, enough wood to make it grow one foot. So it's a 60 foot tree in terms of its measuring width, and it adds one foot in diameter and it is still growing. So pretty impressive to see. There's two ways that you could see this. If you have, um, a handicap plate on your car, you're definitely going to want to make sure that you park at the handicap accessible area because the main trail is pretty tough to do, uh, especially if you have knee issues or obviously with wheelchair use or anything like that. There is the, um, the entrance for the handicap accessibility is just off of the main road that you're taking to get through the park and you'll see the signs for it. There's not very many spots, but, um, if you have a handicap tag, this is for sure where you want to go. And then it's not that far of a jaunt to get into, go see the general Sherman tree. We of course did not park there. So I don't have a lot of more details about how that's set up and how you get into the tree, but I know it's not very far. For most of us though, you're going to have to go kind of up and around and it'll you'll see a bunch of signs that tell you where to turn for the General Sherman tree and you turn into the area and then you come into the parking lot and when you come into the parking lot, uh, there's not really RV parking here, but of course you probably couldn't have got your RV up to this point anyway because of the switchbacks at the entrance but you park your car here. There is limited parking. The time of year when we went was the end of October and we had no trouble parking. It wasn't really that crowded. The weather was still nice. We weren't dealing with snow or anything, but uh, there weren't a lot of people, so that was nice. We were able to park at the parking lot and then there is a paved path that will take you 
down in elevation, you actually go 200 feet in elevation down as you head down this path to where the General Sherman tree is. And it's about a mile to go down that. So you don't, you think, oh, that's not that far, but don't forget that you have to hike that thing back up that 200 foot elevation gain in that one mile to get back out. And that was a little bit trickier. They do have some park benches along the way, so you can stop and kind of catch your breath. Um, because it is a, a bit of a hike to get back up there. They don't have any stairs. It was just paved and smooth, so it might be a little bit easier on the knees. But just so you know, that's kind of what you're looking at in terms of this. I don't know that it would be super stroller accessible because it is so steep in elevation. I'd be afraid that you might run into some issues. It'd be easier to take the kids and either walk and hold their hands or have them in a pack. But when you do get down to the base, you can see the General Sherman tree, and then there's a bunch of other trees in the area as well. There's a whole um, circular path that goes around and lets you see a bunch of the other big trees. There's some that are even knocked over, and there's interpretive signs that will tell you a little bit more about the rings on the trees and different things that you're gonna look for as you're uh, learning about the trees on your experience. So that is General Sherman tree, first thing to mention. Then the next thing I wanted to talk about was Morrow Rock. And this was really cool. We actually didn't really have a plan going into Sequoia. I wasn't sure other than General Sherman what we were going to see. And we just happened across Morrow Rock and that turns out to be a fantastic thing to check out if you're capable and able to do it. So Morrow Rock is uh, no small thing. It's this big granite dome, one of these big granite mountains, just like you would see at Yosemite, um, that just juts up into the mountain and they have a staircase that goes around part of it and you're climbing up the stairs. And then um, in some places it's kind of more like a ramp, but mostly you're doing an elevation gain here as well. So in this case, you're going about 300 feet in elevation and it's a little over two miles to get both up and then back down. So you're talking about a little over four mile hike in general, going both directions. So definitely plan quite a few hours for this, probably three hours, maybe four with kids. I think we actually probably did it in less than three, but we were really kind of hiking our way up, trying to, trying to rush through and make sure we could see it. We actually climbed probably halfway, and then my oldest, who is not a fan of heights, decided she didn't want to go any additional height. Um, and you really, you have these sharp um, views where you're just looking over the edge of the cliff, and it drops. So if you have issues with height, this might not be a good one for you. But if you don't mind a little bit of the height, just keep going all the way to the top. I actually didn't even get to see the top, but my youngest and my husband were able to hike all the way up. And when you get to the top, you can walk out on the dome and you're looking at these amazing 360 degree views of the mountains all around you. And all you have next to you is a little rail that's supposed to keep you up there. Um, so Jeremy was holding on to Elsa for dear life and making sure she didn't accidentally slip or fall. Definitely not a place to bring your toddlers, um, but it's a very cool hike. It's considered moderate to difficult because of all the stairs and the elevation and then the fact that you're kind of um, really exposed and out there once you get to the upper levels. 
You can see a really cool view of Mount Whitney at this point in time. You can see pretty far off into the distance. We were here during some really bad wildfires. I think this is almost just the common thing when you're going to California parks now. Um, so there was tons of smoke along the way and we were almost to the point where you're, you've hiked above the smoke and the smoke has settled down below you. So our sunset view was really beautiful and it was amazing to see that, but unfortunately it looked that way because of all the smoke that was in the air. Um, and it makes it a little bit difficult to be doing the hikes when you're breathing in all that smoke. But Morro Rock, very cool one to see. If you've seen a lot of pictures of people who have visited Sequoia, it, you're probably often seeing Morro Rock. The next place I wanted to talk about is Crystal Cave. We did not actually get to see Crystal Cave because it was not open this time of year. It's only open through Memorial Day weekend up through September. And my guess is with last year with the pandemic, I'm sure they didn't even open Crystal Cave at all. Maybe perhaps they'll be able to open it with uh, some limited tours this year. I don't, I haven't looked into it, so I don't know the details. You'll want to make sure that you check this and you probably need to book your tour ahead of time. That's really what most of the parks are going to with the tours is having those be a booked ahead of time type of deal. What they do is they have a 50 minute guided tour that takes you down into the cave in order to get to the cave, there's a seven mile drive that takes you out here, and it is not a trailer RV accessible type of drive. Um, even buses are prohibited because it's extremely narrow. So just so you know, it's a narrow road to get out here, um, and then you do have to have a tour booked in order to go into the cave. And um, Sequoia actually has 250 caves throughout the park there, but this is the only one that they open up to the public and is open up for tours. Um, be sure that you know you have a sweater or jacket or whatever anytime you're going into the caves because they end up being a little bit cooler even if it's really hot that day. So we were not able to see the Crystal Cave, but this is one of the things that if you're heading to Sequoia, try to add this to your list if you're able to see it. Um, it looks like you can purchase tickets available on the recreation.gov uh, website, so you do need to do that ahead of time. And then the last place that I wanted to mention is Tunnel Log. When you go over to see Morro Rock, even if you're not going to do the full hike up to Morro Rock, it, it's cool to just see it even from the base level. They have some interpretive signs that tell you about it. They kind of warn you about what you're in for if you want to go ahead and do the hike up the stairs. But if you continue driving on that road, there's a little loop that will take you over to Tunnel Log. And Tunnel Log is cool because it is a fallen sequoia tree that has fallen over and then they did a carve out so automobiles can go through it. And um, you, you can see a lot of that type of stuff when you head over to the Redwoods, but you don't necessarily see a lot of that in Sequoia National Park. So it's kind of cool to be able to take your vehicle and drive through Tunnel Log and that's the location where you're going to do that. So those are four of the highlights on uh, that you might want to see when you're visiting Sequoia National Park. And when we get back, we're going to discuss camping options. So Sequoia is not really accommodating for large RVs. Um, we've already discussed how if you're coming in from that southwest entrance, you can't have a length more than 22 feet. So that really is going to limit you. Pretty much the campgrounds that are open, they have, if they allow for RVs, they have a 30 foot limit on the length of the RV. So that's definitely going to be a hindrance for a lot of people with big RVs and big rigs like we have. But if you can get into one of those, let's say you are 30 feet or, or shorter, you're probably actually going to have to come in through the west side, upper west side, more through 
Kings Canyon National Park and then work your way down in order to get to that campsite because that southwest entrance is full of switchbacks and you're not going to be able to get your RV and trailer up that way. So camping within the park is not necessarily ideal at Sequoia National Park and definitely not even an option for big rigs. So where do you camp? Well, you can camp outside of that entrance really from Kings Canyon and some of those areas up there. We didn't look too much into that area because we decided we wanted to come up from the kind of southwest area. We were heading to LA after this and just wanted to be on that side of the park. We ended up staying at an RV park called Lemon Cove RV Park. And we have a YouTube channel and we have a review with video on this campground. So you can check that out. It was great. They had pull throughs, um, they have back end spots, plenty of space for big RVs. It's flat. I think maybe it used to be a former KOA, maybe back in the days, because the front building has that um, A-frame shape like you would see on a lot of the older KOAs. Uh, But it's right next to um, a bunch of farms in different areas where they are growing oranges and all sorts of different uh, citrus and fruit. And they actually have a number of fruit trees even within the park. And you're allowed to pick the fruit from the fruit trees. There weren't any fruit trees blooming at the end of October when we were there, but that's kind of a nice feature. Or you could go by to nearby um, farm stands and stuff and get some fresh produce while you're in the area. So that's kind of a neat feature. And then you're probably only about 15 minutes from that entrance and the visitor center, which is on that, like I said, kind of that southwest side as you're coming into the park. When you're doing the drive, what we ended up doing was parking the RV. We drove in, went to the visitor center, stopped there, met up with the rangers, got our junior ranger packet information, stuff like that. And then we continued on General's Highway, which will take you through the park. And then if you continue that, that's when you get up into Kings Canyon, Uh, National Park and then you don't have to turn around and come back the same way out you can actually exit out from Kings Canyon and then work your way down some other roads to get back to the south side so you don't need to retrace your steps and you probably don't want to because you can go a little bit faster on some of the other roads that are outside of the park so that is what I recommend for RV camping especially if you are dealing with a large RV. So that's our quick podcast on Sequoia National Park. I hope this is useful to you for your planning. I think some of our main tips for Sequoia is that you want to make sure that you're building in enough time to for sure see Kings Canyon. And if you can make a stop up to Yosemite, if you haven't been up there, we have a whole podcast about that. If you want to see more video about our trip or um, other national park trips, we do have a YouTube channel. We have lots of videos on the national parks, different things on RV life. So it's not just our podcast. The YouTube channel has a lot of stuff if you want to see some video. Thank you so much for listening. We can be found on Instagram and Facebook at RV Homeschool. And I thank you so much for the reviews and the kind comments. I wasn't even sure if I was going to come back and do podcasting. And then I had a bunch of people reach out and they were so nice with their words and the reviews that they've left that I decided to go ahead and bring back the podcast and hopefully provide you with more information on a regular basis. You probably notice we don't have any ads or affiliations or anything like that. So you don't have to waste time listening to advertising. But that also means that the only uh, payment you could say I get for the podcast is your kind words. So thank you so much for those. And we will be back in probably a week or two with the next national park. Thanks so much for listening. Mm -hmm.